Episode three. All right, Mr. Larson, what do we have today? Well, Iron Man gets suspended. Uh, suspenders? No, it's suspended. Oh, oh, right, the Unicron thing. Unicorn? Oh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, what else? Uh, well, we learn to measure things in dinosaurs. Oh, is that because Cap's old? Is that like a like a senior citizen joke? No, uh, it's not, actually. But we also learn how to set things to scramble. Scramble like eggs? Interesting. Hey, are we going to focus on Tony just chilling, being plugged into the wall? Now that's the idea, son. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an exciting episode of Avengers Assemble with Mike and Ryan. I am your co-host, Ryan Larson, and as always, I have Mike Lasnik with me. Yo. After years and years of explaining characters, stories, and histories to our friends, we've decided to do it formally. The MCU brought the Avengers to the forefront of pop culture, dominating the box office and every other element of mainstream media for the last 10 years. So we decided to take a look at the history of the Avengers who they are, where they came from, what they've been through, all in an attempt to decode why, 50 years after their creation, these characters have not only endured, but become beloved household names. We're going to take you through the history of the Avengers, issue by issue, exploring their origins, creators, place in pop culture history, and track their evolution from inception to when these iconic characters actually became the iconic versions of themselves. We may have gotten ourselves in over our heads. Mike, this is our, what, third episode already? <sighs> Episode three, yeah. It's just just rolling by. Yeah. Um, so Mike and I have... I feel, like, I feel like this podcast is just strapped on Iron Man's roller skates and is just, just transistoring itself right just through... Just charging itself up while skating through the city. As one does. Right. Um, if you guys, which you probably don't know, maybe a few of you, Mike and I had a podcast before that was um, covering wrestling uh, called Super Kick Live, RIP to SKL. Um but you know i think we've been texting and i think we're finding our groove with this even faster than we did with that i think so too you know it's um it's just something that we inherently know so i mean we know the other we knew wrestling well too but like comics are just so ingrained in us that it doesn't take a lot of effort for us to really understand what's happening and to really be able to just kind of start vibing off of it and and you know going on long tangents about things that people don't care about well i think comics are static too right like no matter what we're like wrestling you're i mean you're learning constantly about comics too because new comics come out but the amount of content that comes out per with wrestling per week compared to like yes a lot of comics come out every week but do a lot of avengers comics come out every week you know like comparatively i think what we've done is a little more um palpable um and also a little more realistic yeah, and we're also, I mean, we're looking at stuff that's existed for almost 50 years now, too. So we've had time, you know, this is, God knows how many times we've read these issues of these comic books. Especially the first 15 issues of Avengers. Again and again. Because we have read these a lot. And speaking of those first 15 issues, we are still within them. Um, what we are covering this episode is issues 7 and 8. Mike and I quickly learned that trying to fit three issues into an episode was not going to happen with our tangenting asses. So um, we have reduced it down to two issues an episode. Yeah, you know what? I think it's going to work better this way. Um, and as we get into it, if an issue like issue number 5 about the Lava Men really just isn't worth our time to talk about, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. Yeah. Except that you made me talk about the Lava Men for half an hour. Well, they had pants on, and I needed to know why 
Also, they had names. Like, the Lava Men had names. They needed to be recognized. <laughs> Justice for the Lava Men. Yes. That's your hashtag for this week. Uh, let's get started here. Issue number seven. We're all the way up to August 1964. Um, this is titled Their Darkest Hour. Ryan, you want to run us through the creative team? Yeah. So this one, um, you know, very similar to what we've seen and what we'll continue to see for the next couple of issues, at least. Written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone, who um, Chick has taken over primarily as the inker at this point. Colored by Stan Goldberg and lettered by Art Simic. Uh, pretty classic team. Um, Simic, Kirby, and Lee have obviously been on pretty much every issue so far. Uh, Ryan, you want a synopsis? Yeah, hit us. All right. The Avengers at their darkest hour, or in their darkest hour, Iron Man gets suspended from the Avengers and sits home smoking. Meanwhile, Enchantress and the Executioner are banished from Asgard by Odin to Earth, which is apparently like Australia to Asgardians. Driven by their love and hatred of Thor, they find Zemo and unite with him to destroy the Avengers and Thor. Well, actually, one of them wants to make him fall in love with them. Anyway, it's Masters of Evil round two. Um, I love this cover, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, Fantastic. yeah, it's um, it's got Thor swinging his hammer around, like swinging at the Avengers, while the Masters of Evil are all kind of just like posing under him. It's like Zemo looks like he's afraid, and then Enchantress definitely looks like she's taken some sort of action step, and then uh, the Executioner kind of looks like Thor stepped on his balls, maybe. Like also, they all kind of just look like they're voguing. Like the photographer. Also, was like, also, Vogue. I know, right? Vogue. Like, um, Rick Jones is on the cover. Yeah, um, I have a question for you, actually. Why are the Executioner's eyes circles? Like just, I don't dizzying. Circles. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's wild, but you know what? Like it. The first, the first time I went back through this and read it, it threw me off, and I didn't like it. And then going back through it again, I actually like it a lot because it just makes him look completely insane. It does. Um, he's just very off-putting, right? Which I think uh, helps add to his whole, you know, supposed to be terrifying demeanor. Because let's face it, like the executioner is not a particularly terrifying man. No, I mean, even at this point in his career when he is literally nothing but a villain, he's, of the three villains, he's number three in this issue, right? Like, Zemo's, you know, it's Zemo, but, like, Enchantress is the star of the bad guy team in this issue. Um, and Executioner doesn't really do a whole lot. I really feel like Donald Pleasance could have played Executioner. Oh my god! Yeah, absolutely. With his um, uh, with his blowfield makeup, yep. with the droopy eyes. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Hundred percent. That. That's what I was thinking. Hundred percent. Mike, I know yeah. you're a big fan of how this issue kicks off. Oh my god! Okay, so <laughs> the the title page it starts off. They suspend Iron Man from the Avengers. They suspend him from the Avengers. They suspend a superhero from being a superhero. It's the most asinine, stupid-ass thing ever. And so this is, uh, as they give us via editorial notes, um, he's being tried by his fellow Avengers and and thus suspended for um, basically not being there when they needed him. And it's something that took place in Iron Man number 56. So being the responsible podcast host that I am, I went back and read Iron Man number 56. 
basically Tony, who remember, at this point, Tony doesn't have the fancy little thing that he has like in the movies and the future comics. He literally has to wear a full torso chest plate to keep himself alive. So it's probably very miserable and uncomfortable. So Tony gets real down on himself. He has a, you know, when Spider-Man quits being Spider-Man, he has his Iron Man quits being Iron Man moment. He's like, you know what? F it. I'm a millionaire. I'm a playboy. I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to go do this stuff. And he's like, F Iron Man. And he's like walking out of his office and tells Happy to go get the Jag. And the Avengers call, because remember, they still don't know that Tony is Iron Man. So they call Stark's office looking for Iron Man, who's supposed to be his bodyguard. And he's like, nope, set him on vacation. Peace out, homies. So they're suspending him for that. But the ridiculousness of it is the villain Unicorn was attacking New York. And the Avengers needed Iron Man to fight him because they were too busy to fight him. So they suspend Iron Man because Iron Man was too busy to fight the villain that they were calling him because they were too busy to fight. Uh, I would also just really like to point out that the villain he was fighting is Unicorn. Yeah. Um, and if you... Unicorn will, by the way, absolutely be on one of our upcoming Patreon episodes where we dive deep into supervillain outfits. Yeah, you really need to go look the Unicorn up because not only does he have a giant silhouette of Unicorn on his um, like armor, but he also... The reason he's called Unicorn is because he has like a beam attached to the top of his helmet that shoots out like the horn of a unicorn iron man has bad villains <laughs> that's why the avengers suited him so well like iron man wait okay and so, the Hulk are so, so i'm sorry similar. i'm sorry i'm sorry racist chinese caricature isn't a good villain um i'm gonna go with no uh giant dragon wearing pants isn't a good villain great character not necessarily good villain 50 different versions of himself there we go a good and that's villain. why iron man and hulk are the same because they literally just fight different versions of themselves um yeah and like other than maybe crimson dynamo are like none of them are even worthwhile yeah like none of them i i guess mandarin is his biggest one i hate the red ghost so much the Red Ghost is a man who has control over a bunch of super apes while also being able to make himself intangible. That's like his power set. Like, what a strange... Like, seriously, that's that's too... That's like, you know what happened? Like, in the writer's room, they had, like, powers on the wall. Yes. And they were like, okay, give this guy ape control. And then, like, well, that's not enough. He needs something else. And somebody just, like, blindly reached up and grabbed a post-it note off the wall and was like, give him this, too. Yeah, I really... I, anyway, the Red Ghost is not in this issue. No, and neither is Unicorn, actually. <laughs> Just No, mentioned. neither is Unicorn. Um, so anyway, Iron Man gets suspended, and we actually get this very cool... Um, I'm really bummed that these two panels aren't right next to each other. It's, it's one above and the other below, but it's Thor pointing at Iron Man and suspending Iron Man in a POV frame, and then immediately is Odin pointing at somebody and banishing them from exactly the same pose. It's just a very, very cool... Um, I also love this illustration of, of Odin. Like, super regal. He's wearing, like, purple and gold armor when, with a big blue cloak. And When does Marvel Odin lose his eye? 
You know, probably whenever the artist realized that Odin only had one. I think it's actually like way later, like when they do maybe the first one of the first Ragnarok events. I mean, he does have a scar or what could be a scar. It could be that Jack Kirby just didn't know. Yeah. Um, regardless, I love this this image and these random Asgardians. Behind. I think these might be the Warriors 3 behind him. Anyway, Odin's banishing Enchantress and the Executioner uh, to Earth because, as we mentioned at the top, that's apparently just Odin's freaking dumping ground is Earth. Yeah, like, he's like, ah, you're a criminal. Go to, go to Earth. Go, go to Midgard. Yeah. He's... Take his helmet, take his axe. I love, like, they take... Scourge's Scourge Scourge the Executioner, um, played by Carl Urban in Thor Ragnarok, BT dubs. Um, in case you're trying to get a grab on on what character I'm talking about, uh, they take his his helmet and they take his his axe. They don't take his powers. They don't take Enchantress's powers. They don't like strip them of their identity like they did when they banished Thor. They're just like you. Just go to this other planet. Now. Like Odin's entire form of punishment is like. Aesop's fables. He's like morality tales. That's what's gonna happen here. Like you're gonna you're gonna go down there and you're gonna learn some humility. That's what you're gonna do by being or, on Earth. I just don't feel like actually dealing with this. Yeah, and like who decides? <laughs> like his forms of punishment are so odd. Like Thor's head got too big. Like literally, that's Thor's ego is too big. So he's like, you're a, you're a impaired human now. And then, but then like Loki does some stuff, and he's like, you're trapped on an island, the island of mist. And it's like decide what who where is the barometer for what garners what? It's like the American justice system. It's terrible. Oh man, it's fantastic. Uh, and then we get a little glimpse. We see that uh, the mischief that they got up to when they tried to kill Thor it was actually Loki was behind it. Also, it's a nice little throwback. We see Loki still there. He's still lurking. And this is just really like one. It's a throwback to the formation of the Avengers with Loki, but it's also. Um, like with Iron Man being suspended, it's reminding us even from the very beginning that this is all tied into a greater, a greater thing. Right. Marvel was fully interconnected, um, like right out the gate with this kind of stuff. Right. And that was something Stan always said, like they've asked him numerous times. They had asked him, um, what he, like how, why does he think Marvel is more successful than DC? And like, whether you actually view it more successful or not is I'm sure it's could be relative if you go down to sales though and start looking like at this time especially um, marvel was outselling dc and one of the reasons was he said that he never tried to separate their books um like they all lived in this big world together um and then also obviously like using real cities so the fact that they're being transported using real cities new york city yeah um and you know we so we do see here too this is our first appearances of enchantress and scourge the executioner um, into the Avengers canon. And since you listen to this podcast, nothing outside Avengers exists. You have no other reality. Right, except what I'm about to tell you. So um, Enchantress had her first appearance over in Journey to Mystery 103. That's April 1964. Uh, so not terribly long before this, just a couple months. And if this is your first time tuning in and you don't know, Journey to Mystery is definitely like thor's flagship title that he was taken from and thrown into avengers but he continues to run um like his adventures simultaneously through there so um enchantress is amora uh she ran away to the land of the norns and uh apprenticed herself to carnilla who is one of the most powerful sorcerers 
uh, sorceresses in all of Asgard. There she studied uh, basic magic arts of Asgardian magic until Carnilla expelled her for being too undisciplined. She picked up further mystical skills from seducing other Asgardian magi and wizards um, before officially like donning the name the Enchantress. She seduces Scourge the Executioner into assisting her in many of her schemes over the years because Scourge is in love with her. But while the uh, Executioner is infatuated with Amora, Amora is in love with Thor. So she is constantly trying to get Thor to fall in love with her. Uh, yeah, and it's worth noting, too, what you what you said is basically her chief power is seduction. It is. Like, it really is. Like She just seduced everybody into teaching her what they knew. Right. And Thor's like the one person she can't seduce. Yeah, and so she does have like superhuman everything because she is, you know, of not of Earth. So basically all the superhuman strength, endurance, speed, like um, healing, all of that is there. She also is a very powerful sorceress and seduction is one of her actual like power sets. Um, so she seduction is also on the list of her powers. Our other character being introduced here is Scourge the Executioner, um, whose first appearance was also Journey in the Mystery 103, so shares a first appearance with Amora. Um, he was one of Asgard's greatest warriors, born uh, as an illegitimate son of a storm giant and an Asgardian from the realm of Skornheim. Later, he becomes a warrior, gaining the name Executioner after fighting in a war against the storm giants, and he comes to Asgard but is seduced by Amora into assisting in her schemes. So basically, like, Executioner was not a quote-unquote bad guy until he is basically under the spell of Amora all the time. And more or less isn't even really under her spell. He's just actually in love with her. As far as he knows. I mean, it it could just be her seduction. He could actually be in love with her. Yeah, I don't I know. Don't. I'm He's... sure it gets into that in later issues that I haven't read, and I haven't read a whole ton of Thor. I would have to ask my brother, maybe. Um, yeah, and the thing is, too, like like you said, like he's not necessarily a villain, and he even to fast forward, like when he when he dies, he dies heroically, fighting alongside Thor when they go to war in Hell. Yeah, no, they're so... they're very interesting characters. I would say Amora and the Executioner both are played less like villains than they are kind of these like and they're kind of like loki too they're almost like these agents of chaos like loki loki like it depends on who's writing loki um sometimes he is way more evil but like a lot of the times loki is just like doing things for his own pleasure or gain and that's kind of what right, amora and executioner are doing too yeah, it's really selfishness over just like straight and straight like evil doing. Right. You know, especially now that we have um, a Loki that exists post like MCU, where so many fans are attached to him, they have definitely tried to make him less evil. It's you know, it's it's as uh, as not. I don't want to say that that Marvel Norse mythology isn't like wildly inaccurate, and one of the things that they do land pretty well is like there's no. Like, the gods aren't evil, right? They're complex and they're flawed and they're selfish and they, they're petty and all that kind of stuff. But, like, none of them really are, like, like evil. Right. Well, except, like, you know? hell. With, with obvious... Well, sure. With, with some exceptions, like, hell. Um, but, but, like, a lot of the characters that we see the most... And that's why they keep coming back, because they're, they're complex. You know, like, you don't have to just kill 
Scourge the Executioner or Amor the Enchantress because they're not like 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 evil bad guys. They're just like whatever they want at that point is antagonistic to whatever Thor is doing. Right. So we do get, you know, um, Enchantress and Scourge dropped into Manhattan just out of nowhere. I do love that, like, Scourge is apparently, like, the panel even reads, at a gesture from the fearsome-looking warrior, the crowd scatters instinctively sensing the superhuman power of the stranger in their midst. Like, he literally just raises his hands up and everyone starts, like, tripping and running away from him. Yeah, he's just, like, wildly strong. It'd probably be like if Andre the Giant was walking down the street and got really angry or something. That's true. And then we get this wonderful exhibition of Captain America's powers once again. Oh, my God. Captain, dude, Cap just, like... (laughs) Just bring me a bunch of wrestlers. Well, and he even knows he pays for them. He's paying for this session, and he's doing it to try to train. And what did I say last episode? Like, the first, how many issues do we spend with, like, at least one entire page devoted to Captain America just showing off his physical prowess? Yeah, it's just, like... I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what to say about this page. It's ridiculous. This this bit he does where he's like, you grab me from behind in, like, a half Nelson, and then you grab my feet, and, like, I guess his core is so strong, he's able to contract himself together to bang these two guys' heads together. Yeah. I don't even... It's just... I... Cap's kind of a dick in this issue, honestly. No, everyone's kind of a dick in the Avengers. Like, that is something that is going to last for a while. And that's something that Stan Lee was definitely guilty of. If you go back and read even, like... um, Because I've been reading on my own through Amazing Spider-Man from the very beginning. Um, Peter Parker, like, is awful. Peter Parker is my probably my favorite Marvel character. Um I absolutely love Peter Parker and he has become just like very integral to like my childhood and even going into adulthood and and but like going back and reading those issues I'm like dude Peter is an asshole and we're we're going to see it even on this page right here what Stanley does like Stanley hasn't quite figured out nuance yet and how to figure out how to make people have multitudes and so what he does to create sort of like moodiness and um layers is he's like sometimes they're nice and sometimes they're awful and like oh man so (laughs) so cap beats up all these wrestlers and then we get to the biggest dick move in the avengers so far and it's perpetrated by none other than teen brigade ringleader rick jones yep like what like Cap, so Cap beats these guys up and then smash cut to the next panel. He's like at home reading a book in his uniform. He's forlornly like, reading. Yeah. Like day, daydreaming about Bucky. I really thought, and, I had to double take. I thought it was just a framed picture of Bucky for a second. <laughs> oh my, and here's here's my big, F, my big F-bomb of this episode. Fucking Rick Jones digs through Cap's shit, finds Bucky's costume that Cap somehow has puts it on and is like hey look it's me your dead partner yeah and then he's like doesn't understand why cap is mad it's like well obviously he says he says what's bugging you yeah it's like well obviously you've triggered his ptsd my dude um but also again this is like love right right in the middle of this page is this image of steve when he sees rick dressed up as bucky and it's like 
it's it's an amazing uh, illustration by Kirby of just the pure horror on Cap's face. Oh yeah, and he's just like you it's can tell just, he's torn between just like he's sad, he's like shocked yeah, it's, and it's sad. anguish. It's it's anguish, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's and then it's fury, right? But, and like I said, like but, I still think Stan had great foundational ideas, and like this is something that they were not equipped to tackle back then. But like Stan is definitely already toying with the idea of Captain America having PTSD, um, right? Which which he does. Like who's going to have more PTSD than Cap? You know, right? Absolutely. Um, but like again, I feel like Stan couldn't handle the nuance of that. So his way of showing that was sometimes this character is not an asshole, and sometimes they are. <laughs> and sometimes we cosplay as our buddy's dead partner um dude i can't handle this baron zemo stuff i like literally can't i love okay baron zemo it's baron zemo's <laughs> idea to get richer is to somehow just tax the people that he is like the leader over like he's like remember 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 he's in an isolated area of the south american jungle right and these are like indigenous tribes people and he's like i need to be richer i'm raising your taxes like what what you're raising their taxes why do they even have what is he what what is he yeah what is tax like when they make a human bridge for him i love the the (laughs) giant treasure chest that he has oh that he's just like counting like like, scrooge mcduck (laughs) that he's just like throwing punches at him bring i'm the king pay me your homage like now here's a thought let's just maybe they're not maybe it's not actually some isolated indigenous tribe maybe he like just found people and then is like come live with me in the jungle and then like makes them dress up like this and maybe they do have money and stuff because we're going to see later that they're trained in the use of firearms, you know, but it's just the most ridiculous. He's got this big wooden throne. He's still in his bright purple costume and his little green booties. Yeah. Uh, it's Start collecting my tribute. That is Zemo's command. Yeah, it's all ridiculous. And again, again, remember, I'm reading this in Skeletor's voice. Right. I wish we could actually do it. Like, we got to practice. <laughs> I can, uh, like, what does he do? He's like, He-Man! <laughs> So, so while he's Scrooge McDucking his tribute from the poor indigenous people of South America, Enchantress, like, mental projects the two of them down there, uh, her and Executioner, as, like, holograms, and our genius Nazi scientist throws a fucking stick at this mental projection. Dude, he's, these old comics just crack me up. I saw that too, I'm like, he threw a stick at him? He threw a stick at him! And not even one of the spears, because we see that they have spears. He just, like, just throws a stick. Well, that's the thing. says, it's stay like, back. Zemo, no one can have my treasure. Zemo doesn't have any powers, you know? So he's just like, I gotta make do with what yeah, I have. He's apparently a great stick thrower. Yeah, also, he's probably like, where is my adhesive? <laughs> <laughs> when I need it, my glue. Why, why is his plan not to just kidnap Pace Pot Pete? 
Like, yeah, it's all completely. The plot lines from this era are all so hodgepodge together, but they're they're great because it's just so ridiculous. But this is how we get our Masters of Evil 2.0, right? So Enchantress projects herself yep. there with the Executioner, and they basically like proposition Zemo, like, hey. We know those last guys didn't really help you out. Like, what if we did? We're even more powerful, and we'll help you get Cap. And and you know, because her, and it's it's all Enchantress's plan, right? Her motives she, are she wants Thor. She wants Thor, and Executioner thinks that they're trying to kill Thor, but she's but she basically needs him to beat up Iron Man and Giant Man, and she needs Zemo to take out Cap, and then she gets Thor. Right, and you know, Iron and Man it's, is suspended, it's how we've talked. so you know he can't do anything. <laughs> This will go on, How by it's... the way, to be a like way. It's going to be really, really interesting later on. But the Avengers becomes kind of like the most official superhero team in the Marvel universe because the Avengers becomes U.S. sanctioned, which means they're part of the government, and so they become. You got to be a card carrying certified member. Yeah, and so they actually do get to a point where it becomes a pretty steady plotline in the like late eighties throughout the nineties of they will suspend you or terminate you and like you can't be an avenger anymore um and can you imagine if like that was the plot line like instead of avengers age of ultron our sequel was like iron man got suspended well that'd be great it's too. like especially that'd be it's, great because like, just movie tony would be enough a di- of a dick to not jump in <laughs> right he's just like sitting at home watching it on tv yeah uh, but instead of jumping in, he's just like, nah, F it. Like Pepper, it wouldn't be until Pepper comes in and goes, Tony, and he'd be like, ah, 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 and, and resign, like, and sighs and, and jumps in. And, like, pushes one button and solves the problem. Right, exactly. Um, I love, but but to circle back to Enchantress, um, how we've been saying for now six issues that, that Jan is the best Avenger, um, now... Uh, Enchantress is the is the villain who's putting this all together. Right. Yeah. So, despite the rampant sexism of the time in the industry, we do have very successful, not necessarily successfully written, uh, but successful female characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is something that is very interesting. Is like, I will give Stan credit. Like, yeah, the writing can be a bit chauvinistic and just... I mean, it's the time, though, right? It's really hard to woke test things from 50, 60 years ago. But he does... Right, and if we're if we're honest, he doesn't write men particularly well. Either. No, he doesn't. Like, he doesn't. But, like, he does manage to, like, more often than not give women... Um, the, the thing that's, like, averting it is, right, he never gives women a form of leadership. They always have to be behind a man. But he does always make them the smartest person in the room. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so we've got our Masters of Evil put together. Um, the Avengers have finished their – this is still their suspension meeting, I think. Um, and this is just one of the little things, like, Thor flies away and Rick t- tries to make some snarky comment about it and – you know, it's just a, another cool little moment of Cap being like, nah, man, that dude's awesome. Like, we're lucky we have him. Also, you know? why do Giant Man and Wasp take a, a helicopter? It's a... is it? What do they call it? A jet copter? I don't know, but they it's can both fly. No, Hank can't fly. He has to ride ants. But, like, why can't he ride ants now compared to all the other times? So, they're walking through the park... <laughs> And <laughs> I see what you did there. 
Right. So Captain America so and Bucky, who don't even have a helicopter, just have to walk home. <laughs> okay, so that's Rick. Not oh, Bucky. right, Rick. <laughs> How many times do you think, like, on the in-between adventures, Cap, like, accidentally called Rick Bucky, and it became this very awkward, like, calling your girlfriend by your ex's name? All the time, moment? because they look exactly the same. <laughs> so we see this suspicion, like, you see this guy in one panel, you don't need any text, he's got the derby hat, uh, the, monocle. the monocle, the high-collar trench coat, like, you're just like, this dude's a Nazi. Like, you don't even need to know. Uh, but this has one of my favorite exclamations in comics of Cap going, I didn't know anyone was in that thicket. <laughs> I want to know, like, even in 1964, who was using the word thicket? I want to know who just, like, describe... yells that out. <laughs> like, I'd be like, ah! What's great, too, is, is he has a thought bubble in the same panel as this speech bubble. He very easily could have just thought this to himself. Well, and he says, yeah, usually I can hear the slightest footfall. It takes a very special person to catch me by surprise, right? So, like, we're getting foreshadowing, and it's like an illusion that this person is probably not who they seem. Uh, what is your whole so th- diehard tangent here? <laughs> okay, so this guy tells Cap that his name is Hans Grubervelt, which is obviously Hans Gruber, right? Right. So uh, uh, Die Hard comes out in 1988. Starring Hans Gruber, one of the best action movie villains of all time. It's based on a novel from 1979 called Nothing Lasts Forever, which is the sequel to a 1966 novel called The Detective. In the novel, the character is originally called Anton Gruber. So I just have to assume that when they wrote the screenplay for Die Hard, somebody read this issue and was like, that's a great name. Change it to Hans. Yeah, that sounds like exactly what happened. It's just such a stupidly similar name. I've never, ever, ever, ever seen that name before. And now it's just popped up in these two pieces of... So that's... I mean, that's canon now. You can you can basically assume that's exactly what happened. Right, no, that's a fact. Um, you know, I... I would put, I would put money on it, really. Um, well, and then we get you know, our favorite line. And... My favorite line in the comic because Cap tries to fight this guy and Rick holds him back and goes. Cap, Cap immediately, immediately tries. Well, to Well, because the guy, guy like declares himself he works for Zemo, right? So Cap immediately tries to fight him and 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 Rick grabs him and goes, "You can't just go around fighting guys because they used to be Nazis." Um, yes, you can. You one hundred percent can. Yeah, especially when you're Captain Fucking. America. Yeah, you can fight Nazis, Rick. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I love so the guys like. Uh, he says, Zemo has carved a small empire in an uncharted area of the Amazon jungle. And Cap's like, cool, good enough. Throws the guy away, pushes Rick off, and runs away. Like, Yeah, and then and then we're shown that, like... You don't you don't want, like, an address and or some coordinates? He'll just, like, find it. And Executioner reveals he's wearing, like, a Mission Impossible mask. <laughs> like, on just some dude's face. Oh, Cap is just like what's you're supposed to be a master uh, a master strategist. Yeah, like what is Cap strategy is, is go beat up Baron Zemo. M- meanwhile, uncharted area of the Amazon jungle is apparently taxable. Well, also Cap. So I like to think that Cap is like uh loose. I have a loose uh, awareness of where he is now. I can figure it out from here. He's like, I know, I know what continent he's on, and I know he's in a jungle. Right. He's like, just point me in the direction, and I'll figure it out. I will find it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Captain America. Captain America. Can't you, you can't go fighting guys because they used to be Nazis. Yeah. You got to figure, too, Rick probably has a really obnoxious New York accent. That's true. I can't do one, so I'm not going to do it here because I don't want to offend any oh, New York listeners. Oh, but no, he's from he's like he's like from Arizona. Oh yeah, no, he's he? he's from wherever Hulk is from, like Arizona or Texas yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh, so that's Cap taken care of. So now we see how Thor is going to be taken care of. So Thor is flying. Yes, because remember the Masters of Evil are trying to systematically take the Avengers apart. Right. Uh, so Thor is flying like over the city, uh, and we get these um, you know stylized like all green kind of these old school like almost horror font thor thor like up over the it's, city it's it's what it's just one of those things like it's so simple it's just lettering but i absolutely love oh it. me too yeah because it like gives you it lets you know it. like this is not the, a normal person like just talking right like this is someone who's using a spell on this person um and thor like <laughs> Thor sees it's Enchantress, and instead of being on guard for anything, he's just like, hey, it's Enchantress, and he lands. And she immediately, <laughs> just, like, hypnotizes I him. love it, though, because it's so, like, you can, you can see, like, you can even see the MCU version of Thor doing that. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. Like, absolutely, like, it's just, it's, it's, again, it's one of those characteristic traits that they just nail down immediately. Well, and Thor is just so, like, ask questions later, right? Like, so... Right, he's just, he's got such a casual, because even though he solved his whole, like, being super arrogant thing, like, he's still super casual about pretty much everything that goes on. Is Thor still wearing the helmet uh, in comics? I love his helmet so much, and he goes back and forth. I really think it just kind of depends. Because, like, again, when comics get, like, adjusted because MCU, he he never wears it in the MCU. Almost never. So, like, they adjusted it so his comic counterpart wasn't wearing it very much either. Um, but I just love his helmet. I think it's so classic. Oh, absolutely. It's it's easily one of, for, for me personally, one of the most iconic pieces of imagery from from... Not just Marvel, just comics in general. It's just the winged silver helmet. Yeah, it's the hammer and the helmet. Just like, it's just so, yeah. so yeah. recognizable. But yeah, Enchantress hypnotizes Thor and like... Just immediately, just looks at him and hypnotizes him. And like, roofies him? Um, I'd, like to point, I'd like to point out, she's wearing like a banging 1960s outfit. Oh yeah. She's blended into society very well. Yeah, and she's like got her hair um, all got, tied back with these giant ribbons. Yeah. She's she's fitting into the New York suburbanite lifestyle. Yeah, she hypnotizes him and then roofies him. Well, because she's like, now you're hypnotized, but I need you to just go to sleep. So go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why is it so easy to hypnotize people in the Marvel Universe? Well, not everyone has an indomitable will that we'll get to with a character in the next <laughs> issue. Oh, man. So she hypnotizes Thor, takes his helmet off after he's gone to sleep, and then... Uh, we get this amazing giant panel takes up almost the entire next page of the images that she's projecting into Thor's mind of the evil the Avengers being evil and like destroying New York. I think her goal here is this is my favorite panel in all of the issues we've read so far. Oh, absolutely! Like the Cap looks a little weird. He just kind of looks constipated. But um, the like flying demon version of Wasp is amazing. The, like, cackling maniac giant man just, like, stomping buildings under his feet. But this Iron Man, this purple and gold evil Iron Man with, like, the 
the Hershey Kiss upside down teardrop shaped eye holes. Well, and his um, mouth piece just, is like part of his mouth instead of just being like a mouth. He looks like yeah, the, it's he looks so like um, cool. And he's got the Phantom of the like Paradise. Comes, That's what he looks like. His hand comes to to like claws. Yeah. No, um, I, it's page. It's a page eleven in the issue. If you're not reading along, it's just. It's just a really cool page. No, it's like the surreal, nightmarish, like, and, and the color schemes are great. Like, the purple and pink work so well, but, like, really the purple and yellow of Iron Man, and, like, he, he looks like, uh, he looks like an old school, like, universal monster, right? It looks like, it's yeah. like Lon Chaney was told to be evil Iron Man. Well, now I want to watch that movie. Right? No, it's great. I, I, I came across <laughs> this and I was like, "Holy shit! I love this panel so much." Yeah, it's, it's like I would I would put this on my wall. It's fantastic. Um, so now we've got we figured out how we're taking care of Thor. Thor is been hypnotized. Enchantress wakes him up, um, and it's like, "Hey, who are your enemies?" And she's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. My enemies are the Avengers, of course. Duh. Let's go fight." Um, <laughs> meanwhile, no, this is the best. Captain America. Just like we said, literally drops down and goes, wherever you are, I'll find you. He just drops into the Amazon and, just, and goes, I'm going to find him. Did he, like, Uber this airplane? Who flew him down here? Um, I don't know. Probably Rick. Rick seems to do a lot of things. Like, he's just... You think Rick has his pilot's license? Dude, everyone in Marvel has everything. They all have doctorates. They okay, all have I licenses. Mean, granted, he, he is a ham radio enthusiast. Right. And I know that that comes with, you know, it requires a lot of skill and everything. I get that. I just, I can't. With the cap, literally, like, they don't even try to play, like, somewhere along the panels. Like, from last we saw Cap, he figured out where Zemo was. Cap drops into the Amazon (laughs) jungle, screaming out, wherever you are, I'll find you. Like, like Stanley doubled down on it, dude. He's like, uh, he has no clue where Zemo is. But he found him, like, dumb luck. Found him, Zemo sees him, and just shoots a missile at him. Yeah, a gas-filled <laughs> missile, and so... I'm sorry, hold on, no, please. Shoots a missile at him. Yeah. Well... From what missile silo in his kingdom of indigenous people isolated in an uncharted area of the South American jungle? Um, well, obviously, as you can tell, it's his hole-in-the-ground missile silo. <laughs> This is part though where we get to see a little bit of strategist cap, right? Because it's a ga- it's a gas filled missile. Hold on, no, but real quick, I just want to I just want to read this real quick, Ryan. Can yes. I? This is this is the descriptor in the so the panel is just the missile shooting and a couple of Zemo's people running away from it. The descriptor says, at an imperial signal from Zemo, because Zemo can't give regular signals, he has to give imperial signals. Well, he's a doctor. At an imperial signal from Zemo. A concealed launching site is uncovered, and a complex gas-filled missile heads for the unsuspecting shootist. Do you appreciate the word, uh, use of the word shootist uh, here? That's short for short for parachutist. Right, they include the, ap- the uh, apostrophe. I love too. He just goes, "It's it's complex." Yeah, well, you wouldn't understand. No, you, like you, you know, it's it's complex. Well, he couldn't say it was a transistor missile or a magnet missile, so he had to just go with complex because it, those it are could the have other been ones. a magnetic. I'm missile. surprised it's not, honestly. Um, and like, just you know, I would have shield. if like, like this page, just like one little panel, no, no word or anything, just a tiny little panel of like 
Tony making a sandwich. <laughs> Just like what? What's Tony <laughs> yeah, up to? Like, like Tony sitting in a rocking chair. But as goofy as this uh, all is, though, I love that it shows how how much of a strategist Cap is yes, because he realizes yes, it's a yes. gas filled missile. He takes the parachute, realizes that he has to wrap himself with it um, so that he's not going to inhale the fumes. And then right when he's about to, like when he's close enough, he breaks free, uses the shield for impact immediately blocks gunfire, kicks the shield towards all these people, um, and starts fighting Zemo's, like, insurgents, basically. Do you want to comment on his piece of dialogue as he's being shot at by Zemo's people? The, uh, oh no, I didn't go through all that, only to be beaten by some aborigine with a pop gun? Yeah, like, what the hell, Cap? What is that? Yeah, also, like... That's racist. <laughs> like, yes, 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 it like, is. Like, come on, Cap, dude. Like, uh, I don't know. It's pretty bad. Um, anyway, these guys, who's like, Zemo provided them with firearms. No protective gear at all. No. He's got money for guns, but not money for gear, dude. He's got to tax these people. They don't have enough tax. <laughs> He hasn't upgraded their armor yet. And then somehow, even though Cap beats everyone in a physical match like ever, they trap him into a Burmese hacker pit. <laughs> no, he, he beats them and then just falls in a hole. And his, the way and the, he says, it's deep enough to trap they, a dinosaur. What? They don't, they don't trap him. He just falls in. It wasn't like, okay... Get your asses kicked, but make sure you do it in a this way direction so Cap falls. In- no, no, this wasn't a Captain America hole. He just he just fell in the goddamn hole. I just love hole. the way his mind works. This is so big it could trap a dinosaur. What? That was your first well, thought. It's not how. It's not how his mind works. It's how Stan Lee's mind works while trying to anticipate the way a seven-year-old kid on a Saturday morning would understand the size of this hole. That's true. Actually, when you put it that way, it actually makes it kind of better. Like, it makes the writing make more sense, right? It, it makes it doesn't make it better, but it does make it make more sense. Right. Yes. Yes. And then he goes, "What have I gotten myself into?" Well, obviously, Cap, a hole big enough to hold a dinosaur. Right. You just said it. You know. Now we yeah. flash back to New York to see what Thor is up to. He is hiding behind a chimney? Uh, yeah, he's anticipate. He has tracked down Giant Man's helicopter. Giant Man's helicopter. I want to know how many more times jet-copter. this shows up. The jetcopter. Right. Well, it's been, I think, in every issue so it's far. It's ridiculous. I hate it so much. Um, <laughs> but he tracks down the jetcopter, and we get our classic superhero trope here of... Or hero fighting hero, right? Um, yeah, it didn't take long. Well, actually, I guess that's technically the first issue was hero fighting hero. Dude, they've had hero fighting hero in almost every issue at some point. It's like sometimes it's because of pride. Sometimes it's because of like manipulation. You know what? You know what? Uh, oh, yeah. Even in Lava Men. Never mind. I was going to say not in Lava Men, but even in Lava Men. Yeah, dude. That's that's like such a classic trope in this era of comic books is hero fighting hero. Because, and again... This is because they couldn't figure out, like, those human bits weren't there yet, right? Like, the further we go, the more we'll follow these characters in in non-superhero situations. But those don't really exist yet, so it's like, what do we fill these panels with if they're not fighting villains? Like, 
well, then the heroes need to be fighting each other because they need to be doing something. You also got to look at it probably from like a cost perspective. Like we could create and design a whole new villain for them to fight. Or we could just use this other hero that we already have and know everything about and have names for costumes, designs, powers, all that stuff. Right. And like time too, you know, because they were, I mean, these were once a month uh, back then, but still like a very different process than it is now. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned on the last episode, this is the point where Giant Man has now turned himself 40 feet tall. So he's now definitely like Giant Man. Um, but apparently growing so tall makes him super weak. Like he is not getting proportionate strength to his growth. So I'm, I'm really interested in tracking like when that happens. Yeah, I, and I know it does. Like, I know Pym eventually figures it out, um, but it is, like, it. I do kind of like this because it kind of plays into a little bit when we do eventually see Giant Man show up in the MCU, like they play with that, of the overexertion, right? And, like, because right. as Pym evolves in the comics, he is going to get to a point where he could be Giant Man all day if he wanted to. Um but right now he can't it's taxing on his body so he actually can't maintain this form very long nope it's super it it drains him like he actually says that it's made him so weak well to grow that he's not even strong enough to shrink back down to a smaller size he also has crushed the absolute shit out of this building um that it looks like a classic brownstone so i'm really hoping nobody was living there sure um, yeah, so he, like, flips himself over the side of the building. Meanwhile, Tony Stark sitting at home in front of the TV, plugged into the wall, smoking a cigarette. Classic Tony. Tony plugged into the I do wall like this, is still, though. like, one of my absolute <laughs> favorite one my, things. One of my favorite things. I do like, though, I mean, like, like it's Tony. Like, he was mopey and all that, but, like, he sees his friends in trouble, and he's like, nope, gotta get them. Yeah, he says, ba- banishment or no banishment, the time has come for Iron Man to enter the scene again. So, and, like... Let's face it. Realistically, that's how any superhero is going to act. Like the whole being suspended thing. I really want to know. Like, like I want to. I want to see that alternate timeline though, where Tony's like, "I want to help, but I'm suspended." And then like they all kill each other, and then like the press is like, "Iron Man, where were you?" And he's like, "Well, I really wanted to help, but I was suspended." No, I want to see the timeline where he goes to help, and Cap is like, "You are suspended, Mister. Get out of here." <laughs> and he's like, "Cap, you're getting no, your I just ass have kicked." That. And he's like, "I that." You need to learn your lesson. <laughs> that PSA from Spider-Man Homecoming. Yes, exactly. Just like that. <laughs> so so you got yourself suspended from the Avengers. Yeah. I mean, so he's like, well, now you've learned your lesson. Look what you did to your teammates. <laughs> I also love in this panel where the Wasp is like messing with Thor. It really looks like Thor is um, dabbing. Like so hard. <laughs> He, like, dabbed too hard, though. Like, he dabbed so hard, he dislocated his Yeah, finger. but it's great, because I'm like, ooh, Thor's dabbing. I love, though, like, we know how powerful Thor is. Like, and he's he's going to kill Hank. That's where we're at right here. And we know how strong he is. And Wasp is like, yeah, but I can help. You know? And just, like, dives right in there and saves Hank's life. Well, and then Tony defeats, like, or doesn't defeat, but, like, thwarts Thor by doing that thing again where he uses his quote-unquote magnetic repulsor to, like, make him spin around ad nauseum. <laughs> He's like, hey, Thor, you ever ride the Gravitron at the State Fair? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we get this great, like, 
one two panel of Enchantress and Executioner are like it says from a nearby vantage point, right? So they're on top of a building watching what's happening. And they're in lounge. Um, and then they're wear. like, oh, we need to check on Zemo. And immediately there's somewhere else and the executioner's just sitting on a couch. In like a full blue tracksuit. <laughs> a full blue, like long sleeve, single piece blue top and what look like blue polyester pants. And he's sitting very formally and at attention with very good posture to watch uh, Enchantress's crystal ball. And they go to check on Zemo. They're like, okay, cool. We've got these Avengers. Can Zemo kill the one guy we sent him to kill? Um, and then Enchantress is like, nope, got to do it myself. And she like tries to cave the hole in on Cap from New York. She's like using her power. And again, we just get to see that like of the villains, it's the woman that's the strongest. Yeah. And then Cap though just somehow is like, oh, I'll just block myself from all these rocks and then climb out of the hole. Which I'm kind of like, that kind of works. But also like... It the does, rocks would it, still crush you, but comic book fi- yeah, comic I mean, book can, physics are different. It, you can see it in your mind how it would work, though. You know, he'd be like blocking a rock and jumping on a rock and blocking a rock. Oh, and dude, climbing it's up. total video game mechanics, right? Like, how many old school yeah, Super Nintendo yeah. games where you have to like, like Earthworm Jim? I'm thinking of in particular, where you had like, I remember having to shoot something from the top so it would fall to the bottom, so you could create hills to call, crawl up. So. Yep. Yep, yep. And then he, like, gets to the top of the the hole, and he's, like, leaning over the side with the smuggest. He's looking smug and seductive at the same time. He's like, now I'll settle accounts with Zemo. (laughs) And then we get this, like, Looney Tunes fight scene here. Where, like, they're trying to get the Vibra gun ready, and so Cap takes a palm tree and pulls it back (laughs) and unleashes it. No, man... That, and, like, that's, like, he absolutely killed the hell out of those guys. But then he's like, hey, cool, a gun. I have no idea what this does. I'm going to start shooting people. Right. Well, it's a Vibra gun, so luckily it doesn't shoot bullets. Instead, it just vibrates things to pieces, apparently. But it could have. Like, Cap was 100% like, yeah, F these guys. Dude, that's- Cap was in a war. Cap has no, like, morality clause. Like, I, as, oh, Cap man. is not, you know, Batman or Spider-Man. He doesn't have this, like, no kill. I Like, I mean, maybe he develops it later because we definitely do get, you know, uh, much more, um, you know, modern Cap. But, like, you know, like, he was in a war. I feel like he's never really condemned people for killing. Needless violence, yes. But, like... Right. No, and I'm... It- you're right, and it brings up... There's actually two things. One of them I, I meant to touch on earlier and I forgot, but but this being the second, Cap's, Cap being a soldier, um, is one of the things I really enjoy about these earlier comics. And also the fact that, like... And I meant to touch on this at the very, very, very top, but, like, secret identity still being a thing. Right. You know? Um, like, those are two of the things that I really have enjoyed about these Avengers comics. Like, Tony's secret... Like, dude... Do Jan and, and Hank have secret identities? They do. They don't know who they are. I mean, so, like, okay. um, the Avengers don't know who they are yet. And that's funny, too, because that's something that will change later on. The Avengers will actually be one of the teams that's the most, well, like, everyone knows. Eventually, every team knows everyone, pretty much. Like, everyone in the X-Men knows who, who they are from the get-go. And then, But the Avengers does become a team where, like, everyone knows everyone at some point. Yeah, at some point. 
Um, <clears throat> anyway, Zemo gets in a plane and flies away. Cap attaches himself to the plane with the magnet gauntlet that Iron Man gave him two issues ago for a shield. They fly to New York at the exact same time that um, Iron Man and Hank are... Iron Man and Giant Man are fighting... I would... Nobody would ever let me in a secret team. I could not keep anybody's secret identity. Um, they're fighting Thor. And Iron Man reflects the sun into Thor's eyes and breaks the hypnosis and the magic potion? Um, yeah, and he just knew that. Because... He just knew that he could do yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's kind of like how they just knew that Trapdoor was there with Loki and that magic is trapped by lead. I just... Yeah, I, for absolutely. some reason, Tony is the one who randomly knows all these things about, like, arcana and magic. I mean, I guess it makes sense because he is the smartest it doesn't make sense though like you know who it would make sense for thor <laughs> considering keith well, yeah, lived for thor's hundreds the one of years so thor can't be the one to figure out how to break his own still, hypnosis still uh anyway the masters of evil get in the the rocket ship and they're gonna fly away um and cap's gonna beat zemo and then executioner's like not nah, vulcan pinch and like knocks him out and then we get a fight, and then the three of them are in the ship. Um, they save Zemo for some reason. Like, why did they bother saving Zemo? Enchantress and Executioner at this point very clearly should be like, we don't need this. Yeah, guy. I don't know why either. Maybe just because they were like, we want the Masters of Evil to exist, so... So then Thor is like, as they're flying away in the rocket ship, this is, oh my god, comics. Thor's like, I've got this, don't worry. Spins his hammer around, creates a space warp to absorb the ship, and it disappears in this space and where does it go that's his that's his plan and tony's like cool what did you do where did it go and he says none can say a space warp can lead anywhere to a different city or a different universe what kind of stupid ass dumb plan hey these guys that are very dangerous, I'm going to send them literally anywhere with no way of knowing. They could have appeared down the street. Dude, like, I love these, like, a different city. Oh, okay, so they could just show up in a city with, like, they're in Cleveland, and Cleveland doesn't have any I, I love to. It's like, like, your options are literally, um, yeah, Cleveland or an entirely different universe. <laughs> Uh, the ending. And there's no way to know. The the oh endings of all of these issues have basically been that, which is just like the villains are defeated, but we don't know where they are or when they'll be back. Right? Like so many of them. It's like when they beat way. the Masters of Evil the first time, they're like, "Nah, the cops will get them." I'm sure. Which obviously Zemo just somehow ended back up in South America, and like he. Oh I mean, God. even in this issue, he briefly mentions that the others were apprehended. He's like, "Oh, they were apprehended by the police," but they just like write them off off panel. Uh, that leads us into uh, I, issue. I love, I love comics. Eight, issue number eight, September nineteen sixty four. We've made it a year. Oh wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, this is yeah. written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Dick Ayers. So we lose uh, Chick um, Stone on this one, and it's back to Dick Ayers who did the uh, original like first four issues, colored by Stan Goldberg <laughs> and lettered by Sam Rosen. Mike, what's our synopsis so on this? Rushing. So, real, real quick, real quick, real quick. I know that we're running long. This episode's going to be a little bit longer, and I apologize. Uh, but I just want—I need to point this out because I mentioned it earlier. The title page here with our credits, written by Stan Lee, our answer to Victor Hugo. <laughs> okay. Illustrated by Jack Kirby, our answer to Rembrandt. 
Inked by Dick Ayers, our answer to automation. Interesting. And then letter, lettered by Sam Rossin, our answer to Artie Simic. You mean the other guy who also works there? Who is... Which one of these two guys are we burning with that comment? Yeah, Artie just did the lettering on the last issue. <laughs> what a strange... I just don't get it. Okay. No, I don't either. It's so <laughs> odd. And you know what's... Also, oh my god, I... I I hope Stan wrote that because I can't think of anybody but Stan Lee that would compare Stan Lee to Victor Hugo. You know what is funny that that's true. Um, that I like the more I read these and the more critical I get on comics is not critical, but the like the different kind of eye I take to it. I can tell the difference in the inking in Chick Stone and Dick Ayers. Like yeah, Dick yeah. Ayers, it's the color, the co- like the colors are literally right. Different. He his lines, his outlines are not as bold, and his his colors are not as bright. Um, he does a lot more kind of shading and like more muddy almost colors, whereas I feel like Chick was really about like really bright and vibrant colors. Yeah, um, like Chick definitely had like the blockbuster look going on. Yes. You know? um, it is interesting because you don't think you just hear Lee and Kirby, Lee and Kirby, Lee and Kirby, uh, or or insert any comic creative team, and you never really think about the inker. But like that's and I guess in some instances the illustrator and the inker could be the same person. Sometimes they are, uh, yeah. But like that's but that's that's like a big piece of these are all black and white pages with no detail. Right. That that without, without your without the that's inker. something. Um... I you know so I listened to Jay Miles explaining the X Men, which is one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast, and that's something they pointed out that I started noticing more was how much the inks can actually really change how something looks. Like if someone if an artist pencils something and then it's inked differently, um, so going through and finding it's kind of a fun exercise to just go through and like find different inks to the same outlines because it can totally change the picture. Well, yeah, you just look at the way Iron Man's looked. Issue to issue to issue. Yeah. And it's, I mean, lo- looking at him on this front page here versus how he looked in the issue that we were just looking at, it, it very, like, it almost looks like a different era of Iron Man. Yeah. He, which I guess it kind of is. He looks more me- but like it's not, mechanic here, right? Where I felt like Chick yeah. Stone's inking made his costume almost look more like a costume, made his suit look more like a costume. And this does make him feel a little bit more, like, robotic. It makes him feel a little less yeah, it makes personable, him- though. It's like it's like suit of armor versus costume. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is issue number eight, titled Kang the Conqueror. <clears throat> the Avengers are summoned to a Pentagon meeting via Zoom. Yes, Stanley invented Zoom in 1964 to discuss a grave threat. A flying saucer has shown up in the United States since their one and only diplomatic option, tanks. Um, that didn't work, so then they call the Avengers, who have their first of many, 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 many face-offs with the time-traveling Kang the Conqueror. Oh, and the Wasp uh, saves the day again. Yeah, and that synopsis really sums up basically the first, like, four pages because it's just the government, like, showing footage to the Avengers. I will point out Kang's spaceship looks like Cloyster from Pokemon. Yep, had the exact same thought. <laughs> yeah. um, I also love that Cap's like, no, make sure you turn it to Scramble. First of all, he like, I just, I love anytime Thor is interacting with technology. Because it's just it's just such a cool little like it's just such a just a juxtaposition, uh, but it's like nah, put it on scramble. We don't want anybody monitoring our meeting. Like, why isn't scramble just default? If you can do that, they, why is that? Because Stan wants you to know that Cap is like a military genius too. 
Uh, so the cloister ship shows up. I love to. They call it a UFO. They have to put in the editor note that UFO means unidentified flying object because this is 1964. Yep. Like, it's just wild. Yeah, man, you couldn't Google it. Um, right, and it wasn't common lingo. No, right? definitely not yet. Uh, so Cloyster shows up, glasses part of wherever they are outside of DC or something, um, and then just, like, sits there. It's the classic, like, alien shows up and does nothing, makes no demands. They send the tanks... He just completely destroys these tanks, but I, the sol- they they do make a point of showing you the tanks are completely destroyed, but all the soldiers got out of the tanks yeah, alive. Yeah, because somehow. he he shakes them to get to like to pieces again. There's lots of shaking going on. It's the vi- it's the it's the vibro ray. Yeah, King again. brought the Baron Zemo's vibro ray. <laughs> Kang's Kang looks like. Somebody trapped in an iron nail. Yes, that is exact. Thank you. I was like trying to describe how he looks because we get our first appearance of Kang here, and he does look like that. He has like this giant purple headdress that goes down to like oh that man, goes down. it's just insane. It, it makes no sense. It's like this giant purple headdress. Like, is it one piece? Is it two? Pe- is it ten pieces? I, I feel like it's a lot of pieces. And he's got like a green tunic that the purple headdress sits over, and he also has purple gloves and boots. That go up to his up to his groin, like his boots literally go up to like the top of his calves. Um, oh, you don't you don't remember when crotch high boots were all the craze? <laughs> I do not. Everybody was wearing crotch high and boots. And then it's strange because they do this close up on King's face, and we can see that he's wearing like this purple headdress that surrounds like this blue face mask. But we see that it, there's very much a person inside, right? Yeah, and that seems like an interesting choice to me. Like. We're presenting him like this mythical alien, stuff like this, but then we immediately see that he's very obviously a person wearing a mask. Right, and I think that is definitely on purpose. They wanted us to know that Kang is human. And, like, it doesn't take us a long time to figure out that Kang is human because once the Avengers immediately pounce into action and go attack Kang, who is sitting on an invisible floating futon chair, I guess, like... Which which Iron Man immediately identifies. He's like, oh, he's sitting in some kind of transparent anti-grav I just love that, like, for some reason, <laughs> instead of flying, he's, like, lounging, right? They wanted to give the appearance, I guess, that, like, this is lackadaisical to Kang. Um, yeah, Kang, Kang has no, he's, you know. You know those big chairs that were uh, really popular for a while, like the big circle chairs? <laughs> like, that's what this yeah, is. Yo, the Papa's yes, chairs? this is one of those, just floating and invisible. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I do like that he immediately calls himself King the Conqueror. Um, Thor has an interesting comment where he says he finds his confidence disturbing. Right, and that's, again, kind of plays into, like, King's whole, like, one of King's biggest strong suits is, is his confidence and his, and his will. And before I break down, like... Wait, Ryan... Yeah, I was just going to say, who is Right, King? so before I break down into Kang, because I want he, he breaks it down in the comic, too. So I just want to, like, get to... Like, the Avengers start this first foray on Kang, and he very easily thwarts them. He uses all of his technology to his advantage. He, like, uses his anti-grav ray to lift all of the Avengers minus Thor up. Um, Thor throws his hammer at him, and then he manages to... Um, like reverse the momentum on the hammer and thor even comments like this is a science that's unknown to modern man and then you know yep he 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 like lays a smackdown on the avengers very very quickly um 
and then like for some reason the undersecretary from the defense department shows up uh and like because at this point you wouldn't send the secdef like at all you definitely are sending the undersecretary to deal with this alien invader who just floored the avengers right and then he like asks king like what is your purpose here and that's where we get the backstory on king and so i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you guys a little bit of what king tells us oh boy king the conqueror um so for all intents and purposes the king that i'm discussing today is nathaniel richards of earth 6311 an alternate earth where humanity never went through the Dark Ages. So that's like its big major differentiator from the regular 616. This this Earth nev- never went through the Dark Ages, which has allowed them to rapidly grow um, in technology faster. Um, this, this humanity is eventually saved by 616 Nathaniel Richards, who is a time traveler, but 6311 Nathaniel Richards grew bored of living in a completely peaceful timeline and decided he was going to travel back into time to just do whatever he wanted to basically and also have complete control and rule over humans so he travels back to the time of ancient egypt in the 616 universe where he takes on the guise of rama tut here he's also by the fantastic four and um and while he's trying to because what king does when he's defeated is travels back to the 30th century so in an attempt to travel back to his own timeline he's caught in a time storm and he has a chance encounter with dr doom this chance encounter prompts him to take on the scarlet centurion persona this is where it gets really confusing so listen up the scarlet centurion would actually go on to battle the avengers in avengers annual number two which is published four years after this comic book number issue number eight that we are covering today but takes place in between issues number two and three after the avengers battle with the space phantom so he would be retconned into existence as a pre-existing adventure that the avengers have already gone on before they even meet king so at this point Unbeknownst to our Avengers yet, and unbeknownst to all the readers, Kang has already battled the Avengers in a different guise as the Scarlet Centurion. Um, when he is defeated, he takes on the guise of Ramatut once again, overshoots his own century, and lands in the 40th century instead of the 30th century. So he lands a whole eon ahead of himself. Here, civilization has got to the point where they are so far removed from humanity that they are actually battling with old weaponry. Kang realizes that he can use his smarts from the 30th century to now quickly become the most powerful man on earth which he does and that's when he adapts the king the conqueror title he not only becomes the most powerful man on earth he starts conquering all of the galaxy so he gets bored of this though because he is obsessed with knowing that he has lost to the avengers so what kang does is he travels back to what he refers to as modern age of heroes where he will once again to try to conquer the era um, that is King's history up until now. King ages slower than normal people because of his, um, like the century he exists in. They have a technology that causes you to age slower. He's a master combatant, genius level intellect. Intellect. He has no technical superpowers of his own, but he has a will that is so strong that he literally separated himself from another human to exist as his own human, which we will get into later. But basically, there's a character called Immortus. And Kang is part of Immortus, but eventually decides that Kang wants to exist on his own outside of Immortus, and his will is so powerful, he just wills that into existence. Um, his, 40th, his 40th century armor grants him numerous abilities, including enhanced strength, durability, control over gravity, time travel, concussive bolts, electric shocks, weapon, a wide array of wep- weaponry, his hover pad chair, 
and the ability to transfer his consciousness within seconds. Everybody catch that? And that is just Did we keep up? up until now. I love that the hover chair is listed amongst his superpowers and equipment. Um, not only that, but like tons of other stuff because in his timeline, he's like best at all the superheroes. So he has a trophy room with like everything. So he has like Wolverine skeleton, Silver Surfer surfboard, Black Bolt's um, little prong thing on the front, front of his head, the tuning fork. That's called a tuning, yeah, the tuning fork. fork. Um, yeah, so that is who the King the Conqueror is. And it will get much, much more confusing because King the Conqueror. Pretty much every time he exits a timeline, he creates a divergent timeline because he's not supposed to exist in that timeline anyway. So there's actually like five King the Conquerors. So there's like Ramata, Immortus, King the Conqueror, Iron Lad. Um, there's also, I found this out today, there's a, a kid Immortus. Um, so there's like a kid version of Immortus as well. Um, shit, shit gets wild, y'all. Like Kang is... Uh, you will find this out as the more you listen to this podcast. I am not a fan of time travel, time travel mechanics, and the shenanigans that occur because of time travel. Kang is the worst. Um, when it comes to Avengers, like X-Men characters kind of routinely exist in a state of time travel because it's X-Men, but like Kang is almost sole, the sole purpose of any time travel shenanigans in Avengers storylines. Meanwhile, back on the farm, uh, Giant Man just picks him up. <laughs> He's just like, all right, cool. Clip your wings, little Kang. Pick you up. Uh, and then he, like, flash bombs Giant Man somehow. I don't know. They fight. The Avengers lose. Um, well, and, like, so Kang's suit, I did find out, which is pretty cool. Like, Kang's suit is, because of the future technology, it's neural implants. So Kang just has to think or move things. Like, he could shift a muscle, and it'll trigger certain weaponry in his suit. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, time travel aside, Kang would be pretty cool, although impossible. Well, he's um, kind of just, like, what we've seen a lot, right? Like, I don't know. And then he just, like, he, like, he like vacuums the Avengers into his ship. Right. And magically has them imprisoned by a... a it's, it's just... It's just the, the writing of the time, like, as he's sucking them into the ship and Thor just narrating exactly what's happening because he knows exactly... Oh, I'm trapped in a continual paralysis beam. Uh, like, whatever that is. He gets turned back to Donald Blake... For some reason, uh, literally for some Iron reason, Man like Thor even says, "For some reason, I turn back yeah. to Donald Blake." Uh, Giant Man can't move. Cap can't move. Iron Man slowly dying because anytime he can't do anything, his suit just starts to shut down. Which you know shuts um, his heart off. <laughs> yep. Um, and meanwhile, the Undersecretary is like, "Nah, you know, well, I'll just go talk to the White House and see if they give you what you want." Um, Rick, like Rick, was there apparently. Um, um, Rick and yeah. Wasp escape. I don't know why Rick's just always around. I also love that Kang at one point just goes, I could obliterate the moon. <laughs> what? Okay. Like, like that's his force of his show of power. Like, I love that he's like, my ship could obliterate the moon. Like, I, are we, so are you implying that the ship's more powerful than you or that you're so much more powerful than the ship that obliterating the moon isn't that big i also okay so wasp escapes because she shrinks down and flies away rick escapes i like because he was there for some reason i don't know man um and then immediately there's like instant 
newspapers being printed about how the Avengers have been captured by somebody called Kang the Conqueror. And like, where are they? Where's the press getting this? Invader from the future threatens Earth. UN Security Council in emergency session. No, no. The best. Avengers captured by The Kang absolute the best part of this comic is right here, where the UN is deciding if they're going to unite to fight Kang. And so the guy who's leading the UN goes, then it's agreed that we forget past differences and unite against Kang, the common enemy. And to show that it's people from all over the world agreeing, we get Da, yes, see, we, hi. And my favorite to show that they're from England, Rido. Rido. I'm like, oh, it's to show that they're British. I would love if, like, Kang was Kang like witnessed this and was like, oh, Kang the common enemy. I like that. Maybe I'll just change my name to that. Kang, Kang the common enemy. Righto. Um, so then they're like, they're like trying to sneak. Like the military is like, like they've like encamped with like giant machine guns and stuff, and it's it's the like the United World, but the Teen Brigade just sneaks right. Past well, them. it's great because like. <laughs> As silly as it is, it's such a – this is so – like reminds me of like 1950s era sci-fi, right? Where it's just like these teens show up and of course like the teens are not threatening and they show up as like, oh, hey, like um, we want to be on your side. And so Kang's like, cool, right. I'll they zoom like, you up in my shit. They run up to Kang who, Kang who is just standing there reading a blueprint. I like to think like he's threatened. He's threatened the entire world. The whole world has united their military against him. They like literally have him at gunpoint, and he's like just standing there reading. I like to think that he's reading a plan on how to actually equip his ship to blow up the moon. Because now he's <laughs> now he's made the promise, and he's like, it's like shit. It's the it's the owner's manual for that model. Of yeah, spaceship. he's like, I know this thing has a moon cannon on it. <laughs> and he gets to it, he's like. Oh, moon roof. Oh, dang. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, I gotta figure out a different way to actually blow moon up. The roof. Moon. Oh, when I get back to the 30th century, I'm gonna tear <laughs> that fucking spaceship salesman a new one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, comics are so fun. Anyway, yeah, so Rick and the team are gonna show up and they're like, hey, we're on your team. We wanna help you. And King's just like, yeah, okay. Go up into my ship and get familiar with it. Like, don't get familiar with it. My goodness. Familiarize yourself with it. He's just like, yeah, cool. Five random teenagers who look like they're 35. Again, we have someone genius level intellect doesn't vet the people he lets on his ship with with just at a complete whim. Yeah, just go. Go for it. Yeah, you're cool. You're cool. I'm Kang the, I'm Kang the common enemy. What could possibly Can you imagine wrong? how easy World War II would be to win in the Marvel Universe? You just show up on the Nazi side and be like, yo, we're Nazis. And they're like, cool. <laughs> yep. You guys must be Nazis now. And they're like, haha, tricked you. We're good guys. Oh, shit. We're good guys. It's like every episode of Hogan's Heroes historical <laughs> document. Um, so then he like he's like telling them to do stuff. And they're like bringing some canister down. I don't think we ever find out what's in this canister, but he gets really pissed when it's his it. energizer tank. And it's he, it literally it's pure energy. Oh, it's, I don't know what it does, it's, but it's pure energy. His energizer. Meanwhile, so so a couple of the team brigade are like messing around with this tank with Kang, and then Rick and a couple of the other guys are like running around the ship. Um, I love the one guy's like, "I'll bet you wish the Hulk was here." <laughs> Yeah, well, they can't go an issue without mentioning the Hulk for some reason. It's like they need to remind you, like, don't forget the Hulk was in the Avengers. 
Um, and then this guy's like, Rick, these buttons are flashing. And Rick's like, cool, I'll push them and see what happens. Like, he very easily here could have just executed the Avengers. Nah, dude, it's 1964. This is how comic books work. Uh, so he lets Donald Blake free, who turns into Thor, who bursts out the side. They let out the other Avengers, including Iron Man, who's too weak because he's dying. Um, meanwhile, Jan is in uh, their lab looking for something. She's building a weapon. She, uh, just, because... she just knows there's something there that Hank needs to beat right. King. Um, well, she realizes that like she'll be able to build something uh, because, once again... Uh, Jan is the smartest person on the team, so she basically like combines yep. Yep. this weaponry in the um, in the lab to bring back to use against King, and then she has a bunch of little ants fly it with her because she's not strong enough to do it by herself. Yeah, because she's resourceful. Yeah, no, Jan is once again the best. Once again, Jan and the team brigade uh, save everything, while the four other incredibly powerful members of the Avengers are trapped. <laughs> Uh, basically, yeah. So then the Avengers come out and Kang's, like, fighting with this stupid canister. And then he, like, sprays some pink shit out of his belt and cat blocks it. We do get this really cool, what eventually becomes a very iconic image throughout time of Cap blocking some sort of energy projectile with his shield. Um, and we get pink. Like, I love when we get pink. And it's reflecting off of Thor's helmet and everything. Yeah, Kirby loves pink. Kirby um, and, uh, Ayers here love pink. Yeah. Um, and then, uh... Dude, how dope is this shot, though? Because Jan oh, finally gives man. Hank like, the weapon, and he gets down like a freaking oh, yeah. sniper. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He gets the... Wasp, you did it all take over, drops. Thor's just... Thor is literally pounding on Kang with, with Mjolnir. And Kang's got this force shield that Thor... Like, he can't even feel it. And Hank's just like, nah, just keep hitting him. I'm sure it'll work. Yeah, well, and they're <laughs> just trying to break even give themselves a, a momentary lapse right because they just need to shoot yep. king once which they finally do the shield breaks down hank shoots it in we find out what this weapon was is it's acid and it's melting his costume because jan but what kind of acid is it ryan um it is it's a special acid-based yeah. solvent which will rot and decay any fabric any type of wiring or yeah, insulation. it's basically a, a solve a solve all like of, of whatever they need it's once again stanley going this is whatever i need it to be um because they're all geniuses stanley going ah, i'm out of pages but i do love that you know jan has figured out that because she's the one who tried to get into his costuming earlier and couldn't. And so she's mm-hmm. figured out that it's mm-hmm. his costume like has all this wiring and this technology built into it. Um, and this panel of his costume disintegrating on top of him is awesome. Super good. Yeah, super good. Those two panels together are Yeah, great. I love that. Um, but then he just like waves his hand in front of his ship and his ship fires a missile. <laughs> it's just like – it's like there's some detector beam – it fires a destructive neutrino missile, harmless to me, but fatal to all others. I just... Okay. But then Iron Man's like, nah, I'll shoot it with my repulsors and it'll fly straight up into the air and explode harmlessly. I love this, though. You you loved Iron Man's banter in the last... Or not Iron Man, I'm sorry. Giant Man's banter in the last episode with uh, his, his stork line. Right? Yeah, with the stork brought me. I love this one. Where he's, he's melting the ship and Kang's like... You've destroyed all my missiles, and Giant Man's just like, that's the idea, son. <laughs> As he's just completely ruining his plan for global Yeah, domination. Hank is incredibly just condescending he's, all the time. 
super condescending all the time. like let's face it like hank and uh, tony definitely always think they're the smartest person in the room right but the biggest difference for me is and you know like i admittedly have read avengers here and there throughout the years but like tony's smarter <laughs> right like tony's smarter than hank tony absolutely is this like like Hank, you know, Hank will eventually go on, and we'll get to this in, like, six years on the podcast. He, Hank will eventually go on to become the Scientist Supreme, which apparently is a thing that exists and counters the Sorcerer Supreme. So he's, like, at that point, he's deemed, like, the best scientist in the Marvel Universe. But, like, Tony's the smartest guy. Yeah. The only one who's, like, like maybe Peter Parker. Or, well... But, like, Tony's, like, this... Reed. Well, I mean, Reed, Reed again, like, Reed is, like, scientist. Yeah, I th- I, yeah. But Reed's real dumb in anything not having to do I with I think science. Tony is, like, more applicable science and Reed is more theoretical science. Right, and, like, Tony has social skills. Yeah, that's true. And Tony, Tony can strategize. And Reed's just like, I'm going to do something really complicated. And One day I'll read Fantastic Four and I'll actually understand how their character dynamics work. <sighs> I don't know. Fantastic Four is so boring. Yeah, but maybe someday we'll, it'll be written well, and I can read it. <laughs> uh, anyways, King runs away because that's um, how King always um, yeah. like pretty much leaves is he gets back into his ship and teleports into the future so that he can escape and replan and re-strategize to come back and defeat the team. I do. So this is what I like about King. Yeah, though, basically. Right? So that's the end of the issue. Um, and, and, you know, we are running a little long, but one thing I do want to touch on with King here is, like, one thing I really appreciate about King is, like, we have the Masters of Evil, which, again, are, like, all of, whether it's Incarnation 1 or 2, you have villains that were specifically created to attack one of our heroes. Um, Loki was a Thor villain, right? Um, Enchantress and Executioner yep. are Thor villains. Um Kang is really our first Avengers villain. Because yep. Zemo is a cap villain. But like Kang yep. like Kang is is basically like the Green Goblin to the Avengers, right? Like he has a personal grudge against the Avengers. So it's it's the same with like Doctor Doom and Reed Richards or Green Goblin and Spider Man. Like Kang, even though he has vast level intellect and genius and time traveler like he specifically searches for the avengers when he comes back because he has a chip on his shoulder and he wants to beat the avengers so that is something i, I yeah I exactly really i mean no i mean that's exactly it. It, it this is like as annoying as he is with all the time travel and all that stuff he is like a, a pivotal avengers villain how hilarious it is it too that is. his entire like premise is like get beat go to the future replan Try again. <laughs> yeah, and and lose again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and it, it, it it's just kind of one of those things where it, it shows you, you know, not so much here where like the you know Stanley didn't know how to write anything subtly or anything like that, but like the idea really is that like you can prepare and have it prepare and have all 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 the tech and all the toys and all the weapons and everything, but like it's. Yeah, it's this is one of the cheesiest things I've ever said in my life. But you know, it's like it's the heart of the hero, right? Like, the the good guys will win because you know, like Kane's got his indomitable will and or whatever. But like, he can't beat these right. guys. 
like no matter what he does. Um, and it's it's kind of what makes him a great villain is how bad a villain he is. That's that's <laughs> right? yeah, no, totally, it totally does. And like he, I mean, things will change as time goes on. But like one of the things that I love about King is like how unsuccessful he is, but how determined he is. Right. And it's like, he literally has everything. He conquered the universe. He's like, yeah, but the Avengers beat me that one time and that one right. time. Right, which I just love that entire... I love when villains have that grudge. When they, like, you run into it, like, a lot in Marvel comics, I feel like, specifically, sometimes in DC too, like, you know, Lex Luthor and Joker, where a villain will put aside the bigger goal if they see an opportunity to ruin the person that they're obsessed with. They're like, I know yeah, the bigger absolutely. goal here is to like take over the U.S., but that guy's hurt right now. Yeah, you see it time. You see it with Kang. You see it time again with with you said Norman Osborn. You know, if you want to jump to the other side, the Joker. Obviously, not that there's a lot of reason with him anyway, but like you just get these guys where it's just like, oh, I could achieve my victory, but I'd rather punch you in the face yep. one more time. Yeah, no, it's kind of great. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's it. Yep. That is uh, issues number seven and eight. Uh, number nine is going to be exciting. What's like these issues are goofy and silly and campy, but what's cool is we get to see all these characters that will go on to become like long-standing, long-running characters in their inception. And so next week, Ryan, I'm so excited for Wonder Man for next week's issues. No, you know what? You know who's on the cover of issue number no, ten? I don't actually. Immortus. Oh God, cool. So it's just Kang again. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay so we'll be oh, back um uh, and i we still haven't figured out our releasing schedule i think it's two weeks so we'll be back yep, yep. in two weeks with issues number nine and ten if you want to follow along on the marvel limited app you can find them or you can buy those various compendiums at your local comic book store uh, but yes we will be back in two weeks for wonder man for immortus and we'll see you when we're dead <laughs>